Doctor Podcast. Uh, again, uh, we appreciate all the support and supporting the people that support us. It helps us keep doing these great interviews. Today is no exception. Do check out, because uh, I'm bringing in, of course, the great Emily Morris. But before I bring her in, I want to remind everybody, do check drdrew.tv. We have the streaming show where there's just been some fascinating guests I've been talking to there. I think I think this audience would, would love some of that stuff. You may already be there. So I, I hope I'm singing to the choir. And don't forget After Dark. That's another thing you guys would be interested in, especially if you're interested in Emily and her material. Dr. Emily Morris, the book is called Smart Sex, How to Boost Your Sex IQ and Own Your Own Pleasure. I'm holding it to my chest, under my chin. I suggest Emily's got it too. She's reaching for it also. There it is. There it is. So tell people what they're going to get from your latest book. Okay, my latest book. Well, thank you for having me, Drew. This is a delight. Do people so, know that, that we worked together for a long time? We did I don't know. We, did all kinds of stuff. we have a whole, yeah, exactly, which we always yeah. think we should get the band back together. But I yeah. love being here with you, Drew. I was, my work was first off, largely inspired by you and the work that you did on Loveline, which it's just, and I don't even want, some people don't know what Loveline is anymore, which I, I know. I, eh, like yeah, really? Not. So All for right. like 30 friggin' years, Dr. Drew yeah. was a pioneer and he was in medical school and took his medical books, his big books. <laughs> Do into you remember the, that story? Yes. Into yeah. the, into, to so K-Rock. Let me explain. Okay, the, go. So the, I, it was an accident. <laughs> Somebody asked me to come into a surgeon, the segment they would call to ask a surgeon. They didn't know what they wanted. And I was like, what? Okay, let me go see. And I brought my gynecology and my infectious disease textbooks with me, these huge textbooks, because I was freaked out. I was a fourth year medical student. I thought, how am I going to, what am I going to do? And here were the most important health questions for young people being presented in the middle of the night on a radio station. And what really jumped out at me was no one had heard of this thing that we had just stopped calling grids and we're now calling AIDS that I was treating hand over fist at the hospitals. And no one was talking to young people about it. I couldn't freaking believe it. And at the time, Anthony Fauci was yelling it at the young doctor saying, you've got to educate, you got to get out there. There's going to be 2 million dead people if we don't do something. And so I thought, well, can I keep coming back? It seems like they need to hear about this. Right. And that's where it all got started. And we're talking in the mid 80s, ladies. 84. 84. 84. Yeah. So 84. So you go into, was it K-Rock? No, where did you start? Was it was it always K-Rock? Yeah, always K-Rock. And K-Rock was uh, at the time, it's supposed to be my interview, but okay. No, and- but Drew, I think it's a fun context <laughs> it because great- it, it'll tie back to smart sex and what You what and I everything. can talk about anything. It's <laughs> exactly. always good to me. Uh, it was the, the station was a block away from where I lived and that's, and it, it came at the time LA, LA radio was always the dominant radio station, radio, uh, radio market in the country, but it was dominated by KLOS, KMET and a little bit KNAC. And you, you, and you defined yourself back then by who you live, what you listen to, what radio, were you a KBT person or a KLOS person? <laughs> or, and then slowly some of the pop stuff and the hair bands came in and that was sort of like power was coming around. There was something called pirate radio that was coming in, right. but the new wave came in, uh, rock of the eighties, so-called and K-Rock exploded out of the blue. And people start, and they started doing lots of promotion, and people would show up at the radio station. The radio station was right across the street from me, and I was started listening too. And then I was aware that some of my friends were kind of hanging out with people there, and that's how my name came up. They were struggling to make a community service show in the middle of the night, Sunday right. night from midnight to three a.m. Monday morning, and somebody said maybe Pinsky could come in and talk about something. Pinsky covered it as a, as a young resident, yeah, right? Yeah, Pinsky's a medical, you know, medical school. Yeah. Something that'll be relevant to the community. 
And uh, who knew that was going to become such a big part of my life? Well, yeah, I it was a huge idea. part of your life, but many people's lives. So Loveline was the first one. It started with AIDS, but then eventually went into like what we used to call venereal disease. And then we started yes. calling SDIs and STDs. Yes. I mean, I've learned all this from you. So for many, many years, every five nights a week, it was on the radio, syndicated yep. all over the country. Well, back then, by the way, for the first 10 years, it was one night a week. It was right. Sunday nights for the okay. first 10 years. And, and what, what happened was, they got a ratings book. They they tried because they get there's a lot of buzz around the station around this this show, and so they decided to get a rate. They had to pay specially to get a rating right. book because they don't do rating book on Sunday nights. And it turned out that one in every three radio in Los Angeles was tuned to this radio show. So it freaked out the management completely. Who said? I remember I called them and I said. You know, I really don't, I don't really, you know, I'm practicing medicine all day. I don't really understand radio, but it seems like we're all participating in something that's kind of interesting here. It's a movement. He goes, oh my God, oh my God, look at these ratings. Oh my God, if I had any balls, I'd put it on five (laughs) nights a week. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put it on five nights a week. And I just thought, oh shit, how am I going to do this? What have I gotten myself into? I know. And at that point I was doing it still for free. I was doing it as a, I thought I was doing community service. So, wow. Well, fun. you were, and you were, and yeah. you were doing yeah, community yeah, yeah. service, but basically the show, which is, you know, people calling in with their yeah. sex and relationship and dating questions. And eventually you would have celebrities on and yeah. it was a whole thing, but then you had the MTV show. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people walking around this town in Los Angeles or everywhere got their first sex advice from you, listening to you in their bedrooms at night, trying to understand that eventually it was you and Adam Carolla and all the things. So I met you. So, so when I started a podcast almost 18, 18 years ago, so I've been talking about sex for almost two decades now. I started this podcast and I remember it was like just answering people's sex. I was not, didn't have my doctorate yet. I was just really had no information about sex. Well, I, so, well, not, but I think yeah. this is interesting. Say, say that again about you, okay. you, were, you kept, people were talking about it and you were like, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? What do we, what, can, yeah, it, can we, can we dissect this? Exactly. I was just going to break this down because again, I had zero. So I grew up, had very little sex education. I don't think Loveline was in Michigan at the time, unfortunately. And Uh I, and you know, and and come to find out, Dr. Drew, that it's very much that this is what hasn't changed. It was one day of school, the gym teachers teaching it. And there's, it's all based on fear. And it's like, basically it is fear and danger. Don't get pregnant. Go, don't get an STD and have a nice life. There's your sex education. And there was nothing about pleasure. There was nothing about joy. There was nothing about orgasms. It was all fear-based. So I went off and started having sex like many people do. I mean, honestly, today, it's like we're sending our kids off to have sex. It's like we're giving them the keys of the car without driver's ed. We're saying, go have sex, but we're not going to tell you about any of the good stuff about sex. So I was having sex. I was in college. And I really just thought it was okay, not great. And I would ask people, what does great sex mean to you? Do you like sex? And it's like, yeah, it's fun. Or, you know, I like the kid. I like the kissing. I like the, sometimes people were having orgasms, but not always. And finally I said to my girlfriends, honestly, I had this boyfriend that was driving. I was at Michigan. He was at Michigan state. He would drive in every week and we would be having sex. And I was like, what's the big deal? It, He's it was pounding big deal. away. I promise you it was a big deal was, for him. I it was promise. a big deal for him. I, I, We're 19 I, years old. Yeah. This he is, was this having a great time. I, I don't understand why <laughs> teenage and young adult women have sex because the vast exactly. of the time they are not enjoying it. And men like, they're trust me they're they're enjoying it they, they need they have to do it they have they to do have it to do it and they enjoy it exactly but, uh, the fact they're having an it, orgasm and by the yeah. way they're reared on the notion that men and women are exactly the same and therefore of course my female partners experience just exactly what i'm experiencing 
exactly true. No, no, not, not at all. Not at yeah. all. I mean, really. And the thing is, I talked to a lot of young people today at those same ages. They're in high school. They're in college. They're even in yeah. their early 20s. We're not enjoying it as much as our male partners. And we're just not. And because there is this orgasm gap, there is men are having orgasms pretty much every time. Mm. Sex is a win for them. They know how to orgasm. And for the majority of women, we are not. We've talked mm. about this. Only 30% of women are going to have an orgasm through penetrative sex. In mm-hmm. fact, through anything having to do with a penis. <laughs> so, And so that's what you got to understand. It's a yeah. vibrator. It's yeah. mouth. It's fingers. Yeah. And this is still shrouded in mystery after all these years. So I, yeah, it's so silly, silly, Drew. So silly. It's silly and it's and, upsetting. And, and, and I'm, I, since I'm not doing it, talking about every night the way we used to, tell, <laughs> tell me about this. There's a new, last time we spoke, it was sort of dating apps was the new overlay, but there's even more now going on that's bizarre. <laughs> like, you know, a lot of young people not meeting, not having sex, not oh, having the a, sex a, a, recession. You mean, are you talking about the sex? Yes. And there's also a sex um, divide. Like some people are, and then everyone else isn't. And it's, it's just very odd. How, how do you process all that? How do you understand all that? I think that there, I think that we are seeing this sex recession. I mean, okay. So for a year, for the last few years, even before the pandemic, they've been saying that young people are not having sex. Yeah. Um, but then definitely during the pandemic, it's, it's just become much more widespread that it's not just young people. It's people of all ages. However, what has maintained steady over through all the years is that people in relationships and committed relationships are the ones who are continuing to have sex sure, at the same rate. Yes. But if you are single, no matter where you're at, the sex isn't happening. And there's a lot of different reasons why we suppose is the first one, as you can imagine, is we're on our screens. Yep. Or maybe is, we're watching it, porn. Though, is it that uh, one thing I've wondered is, is it, are men sort of losing the eye of the tiger? They're so busy with their screens. You know what I mean? They're just the porn is so good and so gratifying that that's yeah. uh, everything else is a hassle. I might get COVID. They're tough. Women are tough. You know, they, and, and by the way, I, I'm, I wonder if you're seeing this cause I've been talking to a few young people over at the after dark show about, um, we should get you over after dark too. Let's if you're do it. Austin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that I'm starting to hear about use of prostitutes. We never used to hear about that. We no, that almost never came up on level and ever did. It was sort of an oddity, but now there's sort of, that's an op that's on the yes, table now. Are you hearing are that? Having prostitutes. They're having virtual sex. They're having, what the hell? I, well, What's because going on? I think that both true, you're going to be, you're going to know this. First off, I think rejection is terrifying. There have been yes. studies that show that rejection for and I guess that men still have to be the my heart goes out to men. They have to make there's they have to make the move, they have mm-hmm. to know what they're doing in the bedroom. If they cannot have to deal with this horrible re- rejection, which by the way, we know that you get through it, it gets easier. You're not gonna die if you ask someone out and you make the move, it doesn't happen. But when you're young and you're thinking, I'm at home, I can get it on porn, right. I can do virtual reality. I can go on OnlyFans. And, and, and Emily, and yeah. they're also they're fearful of being seen as toxically masculine or predatory yes. or somehow. They, and, and then they don't develop the skill of doing this. Exactly. Skill. Now, the, I learned something. I, I, I still learn new things. I learned something really interesting lately that I've been paying attention to. And I'm, I'm glad I'm thinking of it right now. And uh, Christina P brought this up to me. And I was like, huh? <laughs> she goes that, that many women are very, there's almost a motivational state or a satisfaction state associated with being chosen. 
And I thought, mm. oh, what is this? That is not thing I've no one women have all these things going on. They don't manage they forget to articulate to us. And so so for a male to know that women enjoy being chosen, it takes some of the heat away from being rejected. In other words, to know that she would feel some satisfaction in being chosen, even though it's not something that goes further, you don't feel so weird. I, I think the young males aren't going to feel so weird and creepy. Does, does that make sense? Yes, that does. So what we're saying is that 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 this fear of rejection compounded by Me Too and toxic yes. masculinity yes. and men feeling like if I make a move, then I'm creepy. Yes. That may be some kind of incentive for them or another way to look at it is another that women, it, no, it, women want to be asked out. We want right. to feel they, they, chosen. Just because, right. Just because they don't want to go out to you don't mean that they appreciate the fact that you made the effort and you were interested in that, that, their job is to screen and figure things out. But if you know that that choosing someone is going to be a satisfying experience, even though it will go no further, it puts it in a whole different context. It, re- it really does. Yeah. It really it, does. I think it could be a different kind of incentive, knowing that it's for the for everyone's better yeah, overall health and wellness. They do not know this. They do not. I didn't know it. I'm 60 years old. I did not know this, and it, it was a shock to me. And I thought, oh, well, you're. I kind of see that, but yeah. I had no. I, I thought. I thought they just wanted to be chosen by the one they wanted. But they, but which is true, of course. But but they really also just like being chosen. It's like, we like being like, chosen. We like the attention. Yeah. We want yeah. to feel like I love when I would get hit on at the grocery store, or some guy would come up to me, and I would say no. Mostly, I mean, whatever. If I'm in a relationship, I would say, you know what, I'm not interested. But I have to say, good on you for asking. Yeah. Don't stop approaching people. Yeah, yeah please yeah. keep doing it because it is like you said, it is a skill set. It's a muscle. Mm-hmm. Like we have to get into the habit of approaching people again of, you and, know, there's and, and, more and social then, anxiety than ever. Oh my God. And then by the way, not putting a lot of heat on what comes next, just go have a meal, hang out, assess the person. So you, this doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a major undertaking. It just can be spending time with another person that you're interested in. That's all. Exactly. That takes so much of the pressure off because we also forget how important connection is. I think you just did a show right on loneliness and the loneliness yep. epidemic. This is all tied in. Yep. And anyone would tell you that connection with humans, with your community, with other people is what's going to help depression, anxiety, loneliness, yep. confidence, if you're feeling insecure. And so I think, which a lot of us are now about even going out, dude, we open this up before we get out on the mic. You're like, oh my God, you remind me of vacation and fun times. Even I, during the pandemic, have gotten a little bit like, it's a little bit harder to get out the door, to I go know. to a party, to make effort. And I love no. people. I'm an extrovert all the way. And even then, so I think if it, that's just me, imagine people who are already not that socially comfortable, were had this deep fear of rejection, were just understanding sex. Meanwhile, young people are learning about sex through porn, as we know, Mm. you know, people now who, you know, since smartphones really came out, became sort of ubiquitous the last 20 years. Those kids who grew up with an iPad in their hand also grew up seeing porn as young as eight years old. So they're also thinking like, this is how sex is going to happen. Right. And it's not accurate. Porn without sex education is a disaster. So I think all of these factors are people like, no, I'm good. I'll stay home and masturbate. I think most people know that most of the body is water, but uh, everything else, uh, 50% of that is amino acid, the building blocks of life, essential for health and fitness. Amino acids are what make proteins. They're built into proteins. And no matter how you like to move, whether you 
do to stay fit, amino acids are essential. That is why Keon Aminos is a fundamental supplement for fitness. I use them every day for muscle strength and recovery. Keon Aminos is backed by over 20 years of clinical research, has the highest quality ingredients, no fillers or junk, undergoes rigorous quality testing, and tastes amazing with all natural flavors. So if you want to naturally boost energy, build lean muscle mass, enhance athletic recovery, you need to get Keon Aminos. You can now save 20% on monthly deliveries and 10% on one-time purchases. Just go to keon.com slash Dr. Drew. That is G-E-T-K-I-O-N dot com slash Dr. Drew to get my fundamental supplement for fitness. It is Keon Aminos. And just to remind you again, 20% on monthly deliveries, 10% on one-time purchases at getkeon.com slash Dr. Drew. I'm looking at how how pragmatic the book is. It really, you if you have questions, Emily has answers, and that's what's yeah. interesting. That was my quote at the back of the book. And thank I, and you, I, Drew, I for blurbing my form. book. It really is. It's it's encyclopedic, which is yes. nice. Thank you. I mean, so this is smart sex. So this is the book. I hope everybody gets this book. This will be your new sex Bible. And Drew can tell you, I have so many tips. So here's what happened, Drew. I sat down to write this book and I have tips. For the last two decades, you call me. I can tell you what to do next. I can give you a vibrator, a lube, a toy, a sex position, a pill to take, a doctor to see, an exercise to do. And I could do that forever. And the book breaks it down into all the different positions and tips. But I realized when I was writing it is that so many people want a quick tip and a quick fix, but yet sex is still compartmentalized. I can give you a quick tip but it's so multi-layered and I really think that there's more of a foundational aspect to sex. And that's when I talked about sexual intelligence, being actually intelligent. And I created these five pillars and I thought, you know, you can't really, you can only have great sex with sex with great self-love, self-awareness, self-knowledge, your ability to communicate well, to take care of your health and wellness. And so really I wrote smart sex so people could learn about themselves like teach you about like the joy of you, not just the joy of sex, but the joy of being you, mm. how you can find more pleasure and how you can understand yourself as a sexual being that will help you bring about better sex and relationships and pleasure. So the book is a little bit of, of, of all the things it's the tips and it's foundational. Shall we talk about the five pillars? Yeah, let's, let's, embodiment. let's get into it. Embodiment. embodiment. How in your embodiment is just really, are you in your body during sex or do you disassociate? Or in your head. Are you in your head? That's yeah. it. The yeah. mind-body connection. How often are you doing that? And I have a lot of tips in the book to how to get yourself more embodied during sex. Quick it's tips. interesting. Remember all that work you, well, remember all the yeah. work. I remember <laughs> all the work you were doing in this area. Yeah. And I, I kept saying, this is, this is the stuff. This is it. This is, remember? This is it. Like, yes. The brain is an embodied, embedded instrument or organ. Exactly, uh, Drew. I was learning somatics, somatic therapy, which you've done as well. Like how, what am I feeling in my body? A lot of us are just, yeah, disassociated. So that's like, how embodied am I during sex? So I help you get there. The next one is your health. I mean, Drew, this is the overall in your body too. So even sitting here with you, I can quickly be embodied. If I take a few deep breaths, my hands are on the couch, my feet are on the floor. I'm feeling things again. I'm connected to my mind and body rather than just being an autopilot. You mentioned the hormones in here, which is it. It, that's a pretty deep conversation, but I'm so glad you put it in because yep. 
you know, not only are women being put on strong, powerful progesterones without being told how it could screw with your sex drive or your orgasmic function, they just not being educated about it. even the Marina, even the, you know, the IUD that's progesterone impregnated can some people. Can oh, yeah. Up. Yeah. The birth control pill has messed up a whole generation, generations of women. I'm not saying it's not for, for many people. I'm not saying you go off the pill right now, but you have to have be educated about how it's yep. going to impact your hormones. And when you go off of it, what's going to happen when you're on it, what's happening, just kind of understanding that. And then all the women and men and everybody on SSRIs too, antidepressants. Oh my God. Those are going to impact your sex life. Oh my God. I, I can remember in the early days of Loveline taking calls. I remember this one guy, I remember his name. I think it was Todd. And he was going to leave his wife. He was so distraught over the fact that she was completely shut down. And he thought it was because the relationship had ended. And I said, no, get her off the soul, off the Prozac. Yeah, exactly. That, that is, the doctor didn't say it's going to ruin your marriage. And you're, you're allowing a therapeutic intervention that should be, there are other options that don't do that. Now just get, get, get on that doctor, get her off this, get your life back together. It's just exactly, terrible. When that happens. Exactly. Drew, it's terrible. Here you are. I'm so depressed. I'm so depressed. And now I'm going to take a pill and I feel better, but I don't want to say, I can't have an orgasm. Well, and I'm going to lose my marriage. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to be depressed again. Oh and, my God. And, but the other thing is, I don't know if you get into this. I don't, I don't think I saw you get too much into the, but, but menopause and perimenopause. Yes. Highly, huge. highly uh, affects all this and can be treated very effectively. Yes. Drew, yeah. you told me this actually when we, when this was, about you know you talked about Susan, which I think yep. you've talked we've talked yep. about this probably, but yeah, I mean the fact that like and this was like seven years ago, you're like oh no, you can take hormone replacement, you can do these pellets. When what happened though in the early 2000s or was it the late two the early 2000s when they had all these um, studies around estrogen that said it, well, you can't take estrogen replacement. The William, hormone women's Health Initiative. The Women's Health this, Initiative. This, those of you now that have seen how uh, how COVID works, you get a real time sense of how science goes. This was the Women's Health Initiative, which came out and said definitively women should not be on estrogen replacement. And that and we were told literally by the the bureaucracies that if we prescribed hormones, we were no better than a witch doctor because this study was conclusive. And it flew in the face of everyone's clinical experience, and it turned out to be an extraordinarily flawed study. And yes. the actually the opposite was true. And so it, but it took 10 years to wash it through and people are still under the influence of that study to this day. There's studies now that show that you could have a reduced risk of breast cancer on estrogen if you're taking testosterone. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of stuff out there. It's much more complicated than people thought it was. It's much more complicated. And now we're just starting to celebrate perimenopause, menopause, celebrate it, talk about it. I mean, I've been to more menopause, perimenopause conventions in the last oh, like, six months than I have ever in my entire, like I obviously that, that anyone has, and no one ever talked about it. So I do talk about that, being mindful to your body and how it's changing through the decades. Know how your physical health and your meds, one of the pillars of sexual intelligence. And I also have a sex IQ quiz on my site that people can go to, to kind of figure out where you're at on your sexual journey. But it's like, which is sexwithemily.com is that, is that you, is that we just need to be aware because people just still think, you know, this Drew, like what, I don't know why I'm not turned on anymore. I don't know what I do. There's so many factors. So this just helps you decode it. And also that's your physical. Are you, are you exercising? How's your blood flow? Erections, orgasm. It's all blood flow. Right. You're not moving your body. You're eating unhealthy foods. Like, guess what? You're not going to be as sexually healthy as you'd like. Well, to be. We, you don't have to say this so much anymore, but we used to have to say this all the time, which was 
tobacco had seven times the effect on the artery to the penis relative to the coronary arteries. That if, you know, that in fact, in fact, erectile dysfunction is one of the first signs of heart disease. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We're just right. I mean, we should know this. We should know this stuff. Something's wrong with your heart. Going to be impacting your penis. Vice versa. Your heart, like literally it's all connected. And then I talk about your mental health. That's the other pillar of health is Mm -hmm. just have you dealt with trauma? I mean, do you know too on Loveline, if someone's had sexuals, any kind of trauma really, but anything related to sex, sexual assault, women who had been raped or had assault, which is so common. We know if that is left untreated without the use of a trauma with a trauma informed therapist, it's not going to bode well for your sex life. So knowing pain, that pain syndromes, it can be pain, vaginismus, yeah. all the things. Yep. Um, and good. then that's health. And then we've got collaboration, we've got collaboration. How well do you, are you communicating about sex? Do you know how to ask for what you want with your partner? Do you talk about your sex life realistically? Guess what? It's not going to be the same as it was in the beginning. It might not even be the same as it was last month. Let, let's about let's your stop here for desires? a second because yeah. this, this is an interesting one for me. And and I know your next one is self knowledge, which this this dovetails right into. But I want to I want to I, I sort of ask a specific question, which is it it's just always been odd slash heartbreaking to me that women don't speak up more. And it's I think you and I have talked about this over the years. I just don't get it. Just please speak up, men. Mean <laughs> to please, they want to know. They're stupid. We don't know. We're late. Right. We're constructed very differently. And and right when we figured out with one woman, we think we've got it wired. You guys are all different. One from the other, everyone's completely different. Right. And so you you need to immediately, I mean, men like will get you in the position and thing and whatever they want. They'll they'll tell you their preferences like they, they right away. And women are always trying to what what does he want? How can he make it spicier? No, 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 no. They'll get you to what they want right away, very quickly. Now maybe not immediately, depending on what they're into. Very quickly they, they will get you where where what they like. Uh, but women sometimes an entire relationship never talk t- about something really important. And I that to me is so sad and odd mm-hmm. so is that so i know pillar four is self-knowledge still is the it case prob- though drew well let I, me I just, know and so it people may- are not talking about their sex life and women in particular women we in don't particular. know we've been shamed i mean there's so many reasons why we don't talk about it first we don't know maybe we just so, literally don't know is a big part self-knowledge, self-knowledge. do i know yeah. so once okay. i know then I can communicate it. So I highly encourage people to pay attention to what does turn you on, what does feel good to you, and what doesn't. Look at your sexual history. Can you remember something that really turned you on? Do fantasies like go into those spaces because that's where you're going to be able to get more knowledge and understand who you are as a sexual being. So then you can be like, I like it this way. And not only just like your sexual preferences and positions, but what needs to be happening in the environment so you turn on like if there's dishes in the sink, if the house is a mess, if it's freezing cold, you might not, you know, you don't have the heat on. Like there's all these things that are going to keep us from wanting to have sex. Know how to set yourself up for success and know yourself and then right. obviously communicate it. But but I want to dig a little. For, that's all. Yes. But I want to dig in even further into why women don't speak up. I don't get it. What do we need to tell them? How do we encourage <sighs> them? How do we empower them? Is is there some psychological proclivity that we need to kind of acknowledge and then give strategies how to overcome? Okay, what is that? Yes. Well, I think first we have a lot of shame around just being sexual. Why? (laughs) In this late hour, this late date. Yeah. 2023, we have, I, I lay these out in the book, The Pleasure Thieves, which is stress, trauma, and shame. And shame is a huge one. First off, if we wow. grew up in an environment 
where we were told from age one to 18, sex is wrong. Wait till procreation. Who told you that? Who told you that? Right. And you can unlearn that. Seriously, where did it come from? Church, religion, your family. Your, your, neighbor, your, your family ever not me not me but i i'm luckily but i still had shame around i did i wanted to keep my numbers down i wanted uh, my, to not have sex I, with that as many people why? i thought that because i didn't want to be judged and seen as a slut i by don't whom? want to be by, by by men by men by society by culture men, men want a woman with history because they want history to repeat itself not all men it, not all men. That's true. About 10 or 20%. That is absolutely true. But most men are fine with whatever. It's women that judge other women. Women do judge other women. Oh my God. Again, this is also sad to me. Why do you guys do that? There's so much envy. I think that I think a lot of it is the, the, we've been pitted against each other. Maybe it's the patriarchy. I don't know. We've been told that like women are a threat and that we have Hold so that. much Somebody envy. Told you. Somebody I, said I think your so, friends are a threat to you. I, I think that in many ways, a lot of people are against women supporting women. I think that women have sort of been, our sex lives have been sort of, um, have been commodified. They've been judged. It's just men, really men. We, our sex lives have been policed would it, since the would beginning it of time. you to know that uh, female chimpanzees ju- judge other fem- female chim- chimpanzees. That would be and, helpful. And you, they use shunning and ostracism against uh, the females that are a little too um, forward, a little too, too uh, able what, to access resources and, and male partners. So they, it, they will punish them. And desire for a mate, perhaps this is kind of goes back to evolutionary that our evolution is that that a woman is a threat if she's going to take my man and take my baby and take my 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 opportunity for procreation. And and women tend to gather together and sort of, you know, they they will they will align against somebody who needs to be controlled or you know put put back in with the rest of the group in some way. And they use shunning and ostracism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a very powerful mechanism. It's and it's through a lot of our primate relatives, in addition to our evolutionary heritage. And what I always say is, hey, just because we have an evolutionarily uh, sort of wired in sort of proclivity, acknowledge it and and do uh, don't cave into it. Right. Don't don't go with it. I understand that may be your sort of natural tendency. Stop it. Stop that, it. We need to get people to actively help women not do that. When, when that starts to kick in yeah. at the 14. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Of course, we all spend a lot of time taking care of other people when perhaps some of the time we should be taking care of ourselves. It's easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from us and never getting repleted, getting what we need. It takes time, it takes effort. Therapy can give you tools to find more balance in your life so you can keep supporting others. You can be available to them. It's really like having somebody in your corner, the kind of the way a, a fighter does. And of course, I advocate for therapy. Uh, I've referred family, friends, patients to better help and very pleased with the professional services they provide. Look, we take care of our bodies, but why are we not taking care of our brains and our minds with the same diligence? As I said, therapy can give you the tools to find more balance so you can keep supporting others. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so no longer is stigma an excuse. I point that out constantly, that people tend to use embarrassment as a reason not to get therapy. But now with it online, that is nonsense. There's no waiting room, nothing. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. 
Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Drew today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Drew. I think that we have to police ourselves in this way and be like, when am I, what is it? Is this really a threat? Is this real or imagined threat? Mostly women, when we see women come together and elevate and support each other, I mean, that's where we see real progress. And that's where we really see, you know, women sharing their stories and their secrets and the community and building up each other up. I mean, I, yeah, I think that envy can be, can be really, really toxic. And so another thing that's really interesting to look at the messages that envy can tell us. My mm. friend Elise Lunin has a new book coming out next week called The Seven Deadly Sins and the Price That Women Pay to Be Good. Ooh, and the book is all about, Drew, I want to connect you with her because her book is fascinating. That I think sounds it's very be a bestseller. And it looks about the way the seven sins have sort of contorted women throughout their lifetime. Like we can't have too much lust. We can't eat too much. We have to stay thin. We can't, can't be sloths. We have to be productive and get so much done. And then there's all these ways that the seven sins of it have, have sort of shaped us. And when she gets to the, gets to envy, she shows how women have been sort of, um, that, that, that we have for whatever reasons, evolutionary speaking. But if you really look at envy and you find like you're going through Instagram, you're like, this is how women talk. I hate her. I don't like her. Something she does just doesn't sit right. Then you look at that, that envy, if you pull back and now that can be a light bulb moment. Look at me judging this person. Yes. Maybe there's a message there. Maybe envy is a, a point towards an arrow towards what you actually want. Ooh, interesting. And right? it's a very dangerous emotion too. It's, it's dangerous. Yeah. It's about tearing other people down. It's one thing if you're jealous because jealousy can sort of motivate you to be like that person. I'm jealous. I'm mad that she has that. I'm going to work hard to do the same thing. Envy is fuck her. I'm going to destroy her. Exactly. <laughs> so. Right. Jealousy is against like one per envy is like the entire world. So it's yeah. still, that's why this is fascinating to look at it because it's these are like unconscious ways that women have been programmed for whatever reason yes. to be out for each other. And I think that's it an important point to make is that however we get there, we got to unget there. Got, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't really matter how you got there. So maybe, right. so maybe it'll be, and I don't know which is easier, you know, a biological thing or a, or a social thing. They both seem hard to me. They're, they're both hard, but I think society, I mean, this is why I wrote the, this book, Smart Sex, and why the, I do the work I do, is because I really want to normalize all of this. Like, normalize that you should be talking about sex, that you should be enjoying sex, that it's okay to ask for what you want, and that if you do have shame and you do have this old messaging, someone put that messaging inside of you. It is no longer you. You get to decide what kind of sex feels good to you, what you want, and that you're deserving of pleasure. And that that's something that you could prioritize too. You could like figure out what actually makes you feel good and find the partners who are on board. And they know that the vagina is the Rubik's cube of life, but I want to know how to work your vagina. So tell mm. me, right? I mean, I think that there's just so much. So I, there's I that. that. I hope that wasn't the first time you had said that about the Rubik's cube, because I'm, I'm going to put that on your gravestone. I want to. Yeah, no, I just said it the everywhere. other day, and somebody. I <laughs> la- know. I was like, it literally is the Rubik's cube of life. Yeah, I think we're like, we I to, don't I know. We need to patent that. I think our, our tight trademark it. I think, <laughs> your, I think that is your that is your trademark quote. That's so. It funny. is. I know. Well, because again, right? We don't tell men. So then there's the shame. This is why we're not asking for it. There's shame. But here's the other thing, Drew. You know, men have a part in this too. Do you know how hard it can be to bring up sex to a partner? And so many women say, I'm afraid because what if he gets very defensive? Because since we don't talk about sex, it's Mm. not normal Mm. that a lot of us go into fight or flight. If I said to my partner, let's talk about sex. 
he might think, oh, my God, what did I do wrong? I guess my penis isn't pleasing you. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. I guess I did gain weight. You don't find me hot. So we are don't we are not set up for success well, when it well, comes to sharing our desires. Well, let's sort of break that down even further, too, because because let's be honest that when you're talking about these kinds of intimate connectedness, there's almost nothing where we're more vulnerable. Right. So right. so we have to acknowledge that vulnerability somehow. And go, look, you know, and, and we have to sort of like set it up like I'm fearful of bringing up because he's going to be vulnerable about it. All you got to do is bring the vulnerability into the room and go, look, this is stuff I know it's very touchy and people are hard to talk about. But this is this is a nothing. This is like, you know, I also told you you look good in that color shirt or whatever it is. This, this should be the <laughs> right. same kind of thing. And, and we have thing. to take away the heat on, on the vulnerability. Yeah, we have to. Isn't it how, how vulnerable we feel. In the, on we those do. Issues. That's such a good point. Yeah. Really, every time you bring it up, you need to say, like, I know this is hard. I have never done this either. I want us both to be great lovers to each other. Like, let's go on this journey together and learn what we what we can about each other's bodies, each other's pleasure, each other's mm. desires. And maybe admit that today's the first day of the rest of our sex life. Maybe up until now, we haven't been as great as it, but uh, great at this. But starting now, let's have some fun. Like, remember when sex was fun? Like, sex was supposed to be fun. I, listen, <laughs> that's, I, that's so complicated. That, it is, it, you know, that's a really another really interesting point. Uh, that that was the 80s and maybe the 90s too, right? Wasn't it? I mean, yeah. that's how we, um, our generation kind of looked at it. And I don't think, I don't think it's thought of the same way right now. No, it's fraught. It's fraught. It's like, it's like too much. It's too much. It's overwhelming. Do I make the move? Do I not? I don't actually really understand sex Uh, at all. We don't understand our bodies. And back to the shame too, for women, a lot of them, and I'm saying men too, but I, I, again, I unpack this for every gender, but when we start with women, a lot of us walk around very disconnected from our bodies all day long. That's we a don't shame. like the way also we look shame. naked. We don't Not like good. our body parts. We think, oh God, why do I? And then, and then we get in a bedroom and we're supposed to be like on and sexy yeah. when I've been hating myself all day. So yes. in smart sex, I talk a lot about how to get that body even, I don't even say body love. How about just body neutrality? Like I'm going to yeah, be more sure. neutral about my body. I'm not going to hate it so much because that's really impacting my ability to be sexually healthy. Interesting. Because believe me, the, the, your male partner, if it's a male partner, just he, he likes, he, he'll let you know what he likes very quickly. <laughs> he's fine. Right? He, he's not making concessions. He likes no, no, he's <laughs> not. He's not at all. Like, let's like celebrate that. Yeah. Gotta, there's just so much to unlearn about sex so we can move forward. And, and the fifth pillar was self-acceptance. Now that was a little yeah. confusing to me. Tell me more about that. What, what that's okay, just well, putting this all together. That's the confidence thing. So here's huh. the thing. Self-acceptance is, do I accept my body where it's at today? Do I accept my the knowledge I have till today? Do I accept my sexual experience that I've been with this many partners or not many partners? We always hear from people, Drew, you know this too, like, I haven't been with as many partners. I feel like I'm inexperienced. Or do I just accept my who I am, where I am, my relationship today, what I've done and what I know so I can let go? I mean, this is really, again, the confidence piece because the opposite of self-acceptance is insecurities, self low self-esteem, which is also a huge factor that's keeping people from making moves, mm-hmm. being sexual, accepting their bodies. And I'm just thinking about some of the sort of millennial types these days who have sort of inexplicably elevated self-esteem 
that could be a problem <laughs> in the bedroom too. <laughs> You're right. We yeah. are my generation. Our generation was much more like humbled and like we're yeah. not okay. And we're and they're like, I am the best that there's ever been. The yeah. <laughs> we're like what? <laughs> I don't really think about that. But I have to say though, Drew, even with that confidence, it because this even with AI right now, this is a separate thought that just occurred to me. Mm-hmm. Even if you Google sex information with AI, they're like, I do not have any like chat GDP. Even chat GPs like, I have no idea. I can't answer that. Like, wow. still, sex is still very much the one area that we, because we don't talk about pleasure and joy, when we mm. talk about sex, we talk about danger and mm. fear. So mm. I think Whoa. more conversations about orgasm and pleasure and sensuality is needed. So I completely agree with you. And and we went through this decade, which I found kind of confusing, where the the sex and, and you and I are both both sex positive, but this sex positivity movement made it forbidden that you could say anything about anyone's sexual behavior in any sort of um I just let's just call it negative sort of uh light. I mean if somebody was chopping their penis up and serving it to their partner, you're not you can't say anything about that. It's what they're into. It's all positive. Nothing, 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 no, positive, positive. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm it's it's possible to be positive and talk about the risks of certain things right. and where they come from and how they might not always be a great idea. Uh, but we went through the decade where that was forbidden. Are, are we out of that now? When we, was that? Uh, Wait, which thing? decade are we talking about? Like the 90s? Was and everything's pretty collect, 2000? No, it was like 2000, 2000. Might have been 2005, 2015. Somewhere in that zone. Okay. It, I remember people just going, you know, just, oh, you're not, you can't. Uh, I, I, it might have been a part of the political movement to get gay marriage in place. I think so. Like, um, don't yuck their yum. Like, yeah. don't, yeah, don't, right? Everything's okay, accepting. Yeah. I, mean, I think if it's harmful, I think that we have to let people know that their behaviors are absolutely harming them. But I think sex positivity was part of the gay movement. It's okay because remember at the time, and it still might be like there's certain sex acts that are still illegal in some states, right? That right. I mean, we've like got a lot ones? of, like, I think like anal sex in Texas. I got to get this right. I can't, oh, I can't remember, but there are certain. Like vibrators are still illegal, illegal in some states. Oh, that's so we insane. have police sexuality. That, that's comical. comical. It is yeah. comical. Like, what's your sex police going to knock on the door and be like, I heard you had some anal oh play God. last night. And, um, and, I, and I am hearing, I think this is all sort of social media bullshit, but but sort of, I, I thought I was seeing this sort of a perversion of the sex positivity movement into pedophilia. Like, it's just, you got to be positive about that too. And no. I, I've seen that stuff, but I, I, you can never tell on social media what's real, you know, what's really a thing and what's just something you re- you come across. Oh God, Drew, I don't come yeah. across that in my feed. Good. I don't think that that's Good. ever okay. No, Good. Drew, we have different feeds for sure. Well, no. we're talking to people all the time, so I, I'm making sure that we're not. Uh, no, I think we're good. I think, somewhere. No, I think that we're just getting people to acknowledge. And this is what the, what, what my book is about. My purpose is, is that, is that pleasure is so important and the more pleasure we have in our life and the more we take all the weirdness and shame and stress around sex, we're better for that. We're better at looking at our life and saying, where can I prioritize pleasure? We are such a productivity culture who want to like get shit done that we don't, we put it on the back burner. Like I don't deserve 
you know, this vacation or I don't deserve this piece of cake because I didn't work out today or I didn't whatever. But I'm telling you that when you look at your weeks or your months, I actually have something in the book called your pleasure score, your Mm. pleasure percent. And you look at all the tasks that you, all the things that you do in a week and you can do the math and you figure out how many, what, what things am I doing that actually feel good? And I'm not just talking about sex. I'm talking about like dinner with friends, going for a walk, shopping, whatever it is that makes you feel good. And so I think that, you know, that it's really important to understand that you can, you know, you don't have to have unconscious pleasure, unconscious sex. There's so much pain and suffering around it. Like how can we bring more pleasure to our life? Because again, sex, it's not just about sex, but it's like, what, what else makes us feel good? And then the other thing is when sex is about sex, that sex, I think a lot of times we're craving sex, but we're craving intimacy too. So that's just a whole other conversation, but I really think it's just, yeah, well, the, but the, let's let's go into intimacy a little bit because because at its core, that's really what we're talking about here. And people have varying degrees of difficulty with closeness. I I feel like back when we were doing Love Line, that was a major problem, and I feel mm-hmm. like that part is sort of working through, but we're sort of left with this problem with the lockdowns and the social isolation and the dating apps and things like that. I, I think people have capacity for intimacy now; they're just not. They don't have the skill to get there. Right. I think that's what's missing, maybe. It's a skill set for yeah. sure. I mean, it's yeah. um, and it's even hard to explain. You know, it's like, how do you even explain? Well, I think that's always been the thing, though, right, Drew? But I think the lockdowns definitely exacerbated that. Yeah. Why yeah. we're seeing more people with social anxiety and why intimacy being vulnerability and truly allowing someone to know you on a really deeper level and sharing the things that you think you cannot share and mm. truly being naked with somebody is one of the most vulnerable things, but when we are unconsciously having sex or we're just yeah. rubbing our genitals against someone to get off and we're not really looking to each other's eyes and breathing together and talking, mm-hmm. like talking about sex is also very much an intimate thing. Mm. So I kind of want to reverse engineer this for people too, and realize that when you find a trusted partner, and let me just say side note that the women especially say that the best sex they have and the most intimate and the most loving and the most memorable is with when they feel that they are with a trusted partner in a safe space. And so when we can get there with somebody and we can remove all the obstacles to great sex and talking about sex, and we can really say, Hey, this is what I'm into. And this is what I like. What do you like? It's a really intimate act. That's just going to really like feed more intimacy and mm-hmm. connection mm-hmm. and I think maybe it's not modeled to us as month. I mean, Zoom is not a very intimate no. place, right? Um, no. If our families weren't very intimate with us, I think you can get it through friendships. Thank God I have really close friendships and it, stuff. It is an I've important place to practice closeness. It really is mm-hmm. where you can get feeling felt, as we say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what do they say, Nate, too? Like you're only as safe as your secret. Or you're only, what is it? Your sick secrets. secrets. So you're only as sick as your secrets. Yeah. yeah. You're only as sick as your secrets. So that's always been such a memorable one for me because it's like, what secrets yeah. are you hiding? Are you holding on wherever huh. you go that you think, you know, part of it is like your darkness can like, is once you bring your darkness into the light, like the you, you shed light in your darkness yeah, and it, it opens up. That's intimacy. Letting someone see you where you think you cannot be seen. Yeah. Yep. Pick up that glass of Pinot Grigio, your drink of choice. And come have some fun with us on Turtle Time. We're going to do more than just drink and party on this podcast, Mom. I know, I know. Okay, if you don't know who I am, well, I'm Ramona Singer. 
And that's my daughter, Avery. And you probably know us best from the Real Housewives of New York. And now you'll get to know us even better on our podcast, Turtle Time. Let's make more iconic moments together every Wednesday. It's Turtle Time. Follow, rate, and review now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm wondering about any thoughts about married couples, because I feel like they are um, not paying attention sometimes where mm-hmm. they need to. And it's weird to me. I, I can't, I thank God it's not, I'm not in that. <laughs> but, well, but yeah, I, I thank God you too. You and Susan are like my, my, my role models here. Really, you're 30 years together, 30 plus years now. I we're mean, into 40. No, you're not. Since we met. Yeah. Oh, 40 since you met. But yeah, you're 30. But 30 something no. is 37 yeah more than 30 yeah okay that's fun. right maybe it was 30 years of love line yeah we did 35 of love line but it's like <laughs> we're at 32 now i think so i mean i think that yeah i think first normalizing the event there's a lot of in smart sex the book about this for couples i think i have a lot of exercises and things for right. couples just to under first of all like it's not going to always be what it once was and that's okay but if you both agree that we want to be sexual. We understand that we need this intimacy because otherwise we're roommates. And no matter what's happening with hormones and things, become smart about your sex life. Understand all the things that you need to do to make sure that you're still connected. So whether it's checking your hormones, talking about yes, sex, learning to accept your body um, and finding times for sex. I'm going to say this like oh, yeah, scheduling sure. sex is the best advice I can give couples is yeah. scheduling it or it's not going to happen. Yes. Everything else that we want, we schedule our workouts and to make it happen, we put our shoes out the night before we sign up for a workout class. We make sure our water bottles full so we can easily get out the door. But with, with sex, it becomes like you wait until you're both in the mood or you're already in bed and one person's tired and the other per- another night goes by and the sex isn't happening. And then years go by and you haven't quite, and you're like, you don't even remember what happened to the sex life. And so I just want to like normalize well, that. that but, but back to yeah. that, that's odd to me. And, and you said something that I'm not sure I agree with was it, it, does, it doesn't have to be like it once was, but maybe it can be. And and if you're like the other person and been them with them for long periods of time, you can maybe figure things it's out better. even a little better. Yeah. yeah. At least you're able to talk about things and do things that you, you might have been you, you stop once you get older, you stop caring as much about things you used exactly. to care about. And so it adds to the ability to be open and, and No, I think you're right. And let me clarify that. Because I'm so glad you said this, Drew. I mean, you won't have the same desire as you once did, where you're ripping each other's clothes off and having sex three times a day. Yeah, you're like, probably it's not going to be that. on the fumes but, of honeymoon phase. That's what I mean. But it, you can- it's not going to have the same fuel behind it, but it can be the same experience, if not better. You know? I'm with you on that. I think yeah. that if couples learn to evolve and talk and grow and see how it maybe there's like new erogenous zones you can discover sex toys you know i'm a huge fan i have a lot in the book and on my website about sex toys and the podcast about how listen we are covered in nerve endings that can feel amazing when stimulated with a vibrator sometimes there's parts that just can't be accessed any other way so why not get curious about all the ways that you can feel good and like do more of that there shouldn't be any shame in that. You know, what couples crave in long-term relationships 
is like novelty and newness and spontaneity. So even if it's using a toy, that could be the novel thing that you needed that Saturday night. It's something new. It's different. It's a new, you know, I have tons of positions in the book too. Just, it could be just one of those things that's like, okay, now we're talking, we're doing something a little bit different. Yeah, it it is. It's important. And uh, I just think it doesn't. And I think there's this sort of, I'm still thinking about the marriage stuff an awful lot. Yeah. Uh, and that people accept what they shouldn't accept. You know, okay. they, yeah, they, more. in other words, they accept, they, they just go, Oh, we're 45 now. Well, what are you going to do? This, of course she's, I, I don't think that's, I think that's terrible thinking. It's terrible. Thinking. Yeah. And, and the people we live so much longer now and, you know, Peter Atia has a new book out. Do you know Peter? Yes, I do. I love his work. What's the new book? I've yeah. heard of it. You have a new yeah. book? I just have. I don't have it yet, but I've heard of. Okay. Book. And, and he talks about sort of the fact that we're not going to be thirty-five at ninety. That that's not the goal. That is insanity. This is, I think these some of these tech guys think that that's what ninety can be like. Right. Impossible, just impossible. But it could be maybe like sixty or sixty-five. Maybe there's a way we mm-hmm. can figure that out. And if that's true. We should be paying attention to sexuality diligently all the way through, and especially during those windows where people sort of start to accept a little downturn and maybe shut down yeah. altogether. That's a big mistake, I think. And I think too. I, I, I'm, you're so right, and that's what I've been thinking about: like sex and aging. If we're all going to live to 100. And people used to think their sex life is over at 50 when it certainly is not. You can totally, there's so, I mean, there is a lot of sex to be having and a lot of living to do and a lot of things to understand about hormones and optimizing your sex life. And essentially, yeah, understanding that, that this narrative that like, oh, well, enough time has passed or we're 40, it's already gone, like not at all. And so I do think this is sort of the next frontier and I'm spending more time in that area of my own, just like doing my own research and seeing because there's really not a lot out there at all. I mean, about, I think there's like one book that came out years ago, like sex in your fifties and, you know, otherwise people, but I had my mom on my show recently and she's like 80 and was talking about how, I mean, she and my stepdad have been together for, you know, 40 years, but she said now he's 86, it's slowed down, but even in their seventies, it was good and what they did. And, you know, so, but that's not common knowledge. And so I think setting more examples for couples that it doesn't have to be over. You just haven't been given the right information. And, and, and I used to, as you know, I used to preach about the hormones being a central issue and in, in why things shut down, you know, women, they, 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 they don't understand how much it figures into their mood, their stamina, their well being, and their libido and their sexual functioning. It just, you, you got, you know, we take thyroid hormone to, to, when our thyroid drops down or to right. replace what happens when the gland shuts off. Same thing with the ovaries. They shut down. You can take normal doses of testosterone and progesterone and estrogen. I, I'm a big advocate for males too, taking some sort of testosterone replacement. Absolutely. I would, I would be on it if I didn't have prostate cancer. I just have to be extra super mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that there's more and more information right now, how to find a hormone specialist, because for years, again, because of this study we talked about earlier, the women's health initiative that, that mm-hmm. especially for women, we were told like, you can't, it's not safe, but you absolutely. It, it, but there, again, some of the, we, you and I are today just talking about a lot of the weird biases that are in our, our, our psyches. And that's another bias, you know, that somehow you should expect just, oh, you're going to lose this, you know, in your 30 and 40s. no. 
No, why? <laughs> why right. is it an important part of who you are? And right. I remember when Susan got back on hormones, that was one of the really striking things she said. She said, I feel like a part of me is back. Like this, mm-hmm. I lost this piece. Exactly. And like, wow, that's a that's a powerful thing to say. Uh, that you know, part of you is gone or dead or something. That's that. Mm-mm, I, I don't yeah. dig that at all. And then, of course, has impact on the relationship and the happiness of the relationship and the intimacy in the relationship. And so, yeah. And but of course, as Emily's saying here, if you don't also pay attention to what we in psychological terms call process, mm-hmm. if you're not talking and being intimate and communicating and you know pay, tuning into your all these things the pillars that she just talked about you, you all the hormones in the world aren't going to solve your problem if you aren't able to do some of this stuff yeah there's not a quick fix for this is a thing so i want people to understand that there's like a whole holistic approach to this to sex mm-hmm. that because the, the quick tips we can do right we can easily do that but it's it's just we have to understand that there's a lot of factors at play and it is a process and it is one that that has been also shrouded in mystery with a lot of misinformation. So I've heard incredible stories from women who who have said, and men who have said, I have desire again, like when I was a teenager, or I want it again. It's like Susan was saying, or women who have pain during sex, and you start to take estrogen, and you realize, like, I don't actually have pain anymore. That's right. Or pain from from the birth control pill, you can get burning and pain from the progesterone. It's there's all kinds of craziness that if we're not paying attention to you, you and and realizing there's a these are biological processes and you have to be really careful with the biology. But I was just thinking, oh damn it, I lost my train of thought. Shoot, this happens now. God <laughs> yeah. damn it, because it was going to be something really interesting. It'll come <laughs> back. It comes back it's in about Susan. three minutes, so we'll, we'll give it a chance. Yeah, I got you. Uh, um, um, so I, yeah, I mean, I feel like there's. Oh, I know the what I was going to say now. Yeah, I, I was going to say I, I know what your next book needs to be. Okay. Because I was just thinking about the, the landscape because you've kind of got the the sort of sort of the the more usual uh, couples issues kind of nailed in this book. Next one would be really interesting to do sort of special cases. Like your partner is a transgender individual, or oh yeah, partners, or you know what a gay couple's facing, gay lesbians versus gay men, and it'd be really interesting. It'd be really interesting for relationship, yeah, special cases book because really, yeah, keep going. It's well, it's just that that's such a prominent part of a growing population of people's experience now. To definitely be more inclusive for sure. I mean, in the book, I don't even use gender. I use penis owners and vulva owners because I really wanted the book to be open to people of whatever their sexual well, orientation. Good. That's good. Um, but I don't really focus on individual couples. It's more like individual problems that no matter what kind of your relationship you're in, these are the pillars that are going to impact your sex life. For sure. The, the pillars can think, be used with anybody, for sure. But I do think that there is just a growing population that is very well, underserved right now. When it's it just like to, talking about, to me, it's just like talking about the fact that a lot of people are getting older. And that's why I'm thinking about you know hormone replacement and that kind of stuff. The same thing is true. A lot of people are having you know various kinds of gender reassignments and, and they're on hormones of all kinds of ways too they're having all kinds of effect exactly interesting to hear about and learn about and help people with do you watch 90 day fiance um i have seen it yeah because you you've loved that show forever well, I don't right love it. I, I'm, I'm sort of i'm sort of addicted to it and it, okay. we got addicted to it during the pandemic and it, to me it was the key symptom of how 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 far i how far down i went <laughs> during the pandemic that this is what i look forward to every week was 90 day fiance 
but I bring it up because there's a transgender <laughs> man on it who's getting married, got married a woman. And the stuff he was dealing with, I just thought was so fascinating. And he was, just, was he was just, just in terms of, he had a lot of body image stuff that he was sort of, that his partner was trying to get him to calm down about. Um, he obviously had a, a, a penis that was made out of his thigh and, you know, how does that work? And they, they got into it, like fully how it I works, how it feels. And, and uh, I, I really, I thought those, the, they were doing a public service. Uh, and I thought, man, you know, Emily could get into, the, you know, this kind of thing you could get into. I really would like to get more, yeah. more into that for sure. We just yeah. need more information about it because then we'll be of less bias, less, less hate, just understanding that we all just, you know, have the right to be, to be, to be, to, to have healthy sex yes, and we deserve the is. right information and we deserve yep. to understand our bodies. And yet, and still, there's still a lot of Western doctors who aren't even that trained in a much, in a lot of this stuff. Oh my God. Oh, no, and- no, yeah. I mean, they don't, they, to me, the, 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 as I said earlier in this conversation, the, the big headline is they don't even tell women about what the birth control pills or the antidepressants are going to do to them. That's just, that's, uh, and how about when we treat women for fertility? We just use them like test tubes, I know. like, you, like uh, some sort of a uh, uh, Petri dish. It's true. Weird. Or so are you think they're just going to bounce back after the hormone, after they take these hormones for so or, long. Or how much they're going to make you miserable when you are taking them and no one, no one goes through, really, they don't really go through it. It's like <laughs> terrible. No one covers this with you. It is. And mm-hmm. even up until very recently perimenopause and i think this is probably because of the women's initiative that would a lot of women would go and their doctors would say well have a glass of wine or take an antidepressant for your perimenopause i'm, I'm going to tell you something uh, they they so, right so susan went through this for years she had early menopause oh. both because it was genetically in her family but no one brought it up and talked about it and i think she had she had an ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome as part of her fertility treatment and i think that helped shut her ovaries down a little bit earlier still so by the time she was like 33 she was already having this stuff and so what did doctors do with her antidepressants 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 and she even in her 40s at one point she went in and talked to the gynecologist and said you know i think there's something wrong i have no libido i love my husband i'm attractive but i just nothing and he goes well you know in france the men get uh uh have affairs with they get these mistresses and so maybe that's what he you know like in full seriousness and she was like okay she almost kicked him in the nuts. Hey, you know who she is. And B, <laughs> that was the end of her relationship with that doctor. Yeah. But she she talks about it all the time. Like that, that's a, the like a, like astonishing. That was astonishing. the solution for her per- perimenopausal symptoms. Yeah, no. That, I, that would how to destroy a marriage. That's how you do it. Well, maybe you should just get a mistress. And that's you what just... he said. That's what he said to her. It's like crazy. in France, they get mistress. Maybe that's what he ought to do. And he wasn't oh joking. God. He was no. like, This is this is you know, this will solve your problem. Get you out of his get him out of your hair. <laughs> it's terrible and we're just talking 20 20 years ago yeah yes maybe 30 years ago maybe 30 years ago that the, it's only 25 years ago and uh because she's been on the hormones a long 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 time oh my god it's still very very upsetting I mean, the clitoris was just on the map in 1998 we didn't even know, know what the clitoris <laughs> right in medical journals like it's just this is very new, Drew. So, it's so um, weird. I know. So weird, the, way, the, way, the way we compartmentalize brains and genitalia. It's just, it's just so silly. It's just so I know. silly. 
It's all is, biology. Really. It all is understandable. It all has a healthy component and an unhealthy component. And you can understand all of it. And you can be well on your way by reading Smart Sex, How to Boost, boost Your Sex IQ and Your Own Pleasure and Own Your Pleasure. That is Emily Moore's book. I so strongly recommend it. This can, uh, you know, it's, it should be like your like a little resource, like an encyclopedia. That you yeah, I think it'll be your new sex Bible. Yeah. Or, yeah. Emily, uh, like I said, when we before the mics heated up, I was like, oh, Emily, I haven't seen you so long. I, I just I feel like I'm on vacation when I talk to you because we did a lot of vacationing together one time. We did. And we need to start doing that again. I so, would love it, Drew. Please. Please. I miss you. Thank yeah, you for having me on. I appreciate you so much. And I don't know when this comes out, but the book does come out June 13th. So you can either pre-order it or if we're, this is well, coming we'll out June 13th. We'll try to get this to come out right when you want it to in relation. I love it. Okay, perfect. Um, but I would love to see you, Drew, soon. Okay. Let's hang out. Well, thanks for having me. That. We're, we're, we're gone a lot. We're moving around quite a bit. But uh, you and I will talk about that. Okay. After. Let's go offline. Okay. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs> thanks for having me. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. See what hit blockbusters are streaming free during Popcorn Summer Movies on Pluto TV. Watch the first four Indiana Jones movies, or Minari, and Maid of Honor. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of channels with thousands more movies, available on live and on demand. Download Pluto TV on all your favorite devices for free. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never.